On today's episode, we're going to discuss the biggest issue facing real estate agents today, housing supply shortages, and what that means for your business now and through the end of the year. This episode of Keeping It Real is brought to you by Real Geeks. How many homes are you going to sell this year? Do you have the right tools? Is your website turning soft leads into interested buyers? Are you spending money on leads that aren't converting? Well, Real Geeks is your solution. Find out why agents across the country choose Real Geeks as their technology partner. Real Geeks was created by an agent for agents. They pride themselves on delivering a sales and marketing solution so that you can easily generate more business. Their agent websites are fast and built for lead conversion with a smooth search experience for your visitors. Real Geeks also includes an easy-to-use agent CRM, so once a lead signs up on your website, you can track their interest and have great follow-up conversations. Real Geeks is loaded with a ton of marketing tools to nurture your leads and increase brand awareness. Visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod and find out why realtors come to Real Geeks to generate more business. Again, visit realgeeks.com forward slash keeping it real pod. And now, on to our show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Keeping It Real, the largest podcast made by real estate agents and for real estate agents. My name is DJ Paris, and I am your guide and host through the show. And in just a moment, we're going to be talking about housing supply issues and what you can do about it, what it means for the future of the industry and also your business. We're going to be speaking with Ralph DiBugnara from New York. He's amazing. He's got lots of insight into this particular issue, and we're all dealing with it. So very excited. But before we get to Ralph, just a couple of quick reminders. First, please remember to tell a friend about our show. That's the way we grow. We're so grateful to everyone who's listening. So please, any other agent that you think could benefit, please send them a link over to our website, keepingitrealpod.com, or pull up a podcast app, search for Keeping It Real, and have them hit that subscribe button. And then last, please, please, please leave us a review in whatever podcast app you might be listening. That really helps us continue to improve the show and give you guys better content so you, you can even get more value. But enough about that. Let's get to our interview with Ralph DiBagnara. Okay, today on the show, we have Ralph DiBagnara. Let me tell you about Ralph. Now, um, Ralph is a Brooklyn native, and he's also the president of Home Qualified, which is a digital resource for buyers, sellers, and real estate agents, as well as also being the vice president of Cardinal Financial, which is a national mortgage loan company behind 28 billion of closed loans. Now, he's Ralph is a recognized real estate and mortgage expert. He has over 20 years of industry experience, specifically working with the millennial demographic. Now, prior to being at Home Qualified, Ralph served as vice president of retail sales at Residential Home Funding, RHF, where he established the Consumer Direct Division, which was created to service RHF customers' needs through a variety of affiliate programs that offer special values and discounts based around someone's profession or association. He's also a competitive athlete. He's been battle-tested in boxing rings and Spartan courses. Ralph is also a radically innovative mortgage banker and real estate expert. He applies the same 
uh, relentlessness and for and ferocity for winning uh, to helping new home buyers find and finance their dream homes. He's an entrepreneur at heart. Ralph builds businesses and advises individuals to create wealth through real estate, personal branding, and their own business ventures. Please visit Ralph at his website, which is ralphdbugnera.com. I'm going to spell that for you. R-A-L-P-H and then D-I-B-U-G-N-A-R-A.com. Uh, and also please follow him on Instagram at D-I-B-U-G-N-A-R-A.com. B-U-G. So the first five letters of his last name, D-I-B-U-G. Ralph, welcome to the show. Thanks. I really appreciate having me. It's a great intro. Thank you. We uh, Well, we're, we're excited to have you as well. I know you have a lot of experience in this industry uh, from, uh, from an investor perspective, from a financing perspective. And also, I definitely would love to hear about the athlete part of you and, <laughs> and also learning if, if there are uh, habits and disciplines that you uh, have, you know, that you would have to have to, to be competing at the level you are physically. And if that translates over into the business world, but I would love to go all the way back to the beginning and really learn about how you got into real estate in the first place, if you don't mind sharing. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I think my story is like a lot of people. Um, I, I got in a little bit by accident and a little bit by, uh, so in, in 2001, I had graduated college, um, kind of because I had to, not because I wanted to. I just kind of made it through with a finance degree, but I wasn't really thrilled about being in school. Um, I think the last day I ever showed up at, at, at my college was the last day, my last class. I never picked up my diploma, but I remember it being a really stressful time because I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I didn't know where I was going to go at work. And um, I had a friend who was in mortgages at the time. And I um, I was selling copiers for Canon, like door to door at that mo- at that moment in Manhattan, which was wow nightmarish to be totally honest with you it was, it was not an easy to knock on off you would go into a building you would just knock on doors until somebody would talk to you so i was like i need a change and i was looking at i think enterprise rent-a-car at the time for the like a sure. training program and my friend was like hey i'm in mortgages i'm doing really really well it's a new startup company they're gonna go public um i can get you to the sales training program it's a month training and they put you on the phone you didn't have to be licensed at that time he's like you're not gonna rent cars come do this so i i got in um and it was a really good time to get in at the time it was it was a tough job market because the um, at the time the dot com bubble had just burst with the yeah, season. and it, it's eerily similar to what's going on now. It was tech stocks that were very overinflated. <laughs> so I have I, I, can I pause for a second? I have a great I it, 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 you know I don't know how many of our listeners <laughs> were were around back then, but I do. I just want to mention I th- this is this is such a funny thing. I have a, a letter that. So I had graduated college in 99. So I'm okay. about, you know, the same, same there. Same age, yeah. And and so in 1999, the tech bubble had not yet burst, right? And so my friend who um, was taking over or, or becoming an apprentice to his father's financial advisory business and um, you, anyway, sent me a letter because I said, I should probably, I did my first job out of college. I was like, I should probably put some money into some outside of my 401k, maybe just a few bucks, uh, you know, a month into some sort of investment strategy. And he goes, I have this letter he sent me. This is back when we wrote letters. And he said, um, I, I have these great tech stocks. Last year, they were, they were, I'm sorry, they were tech mutual funds. And he goes, last year they were up like 87%. And so I kept the letter because obviously the next year it all went away. And I said, can you believe you wrote this letter to me? And he goes, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed that I ever, so anyway, um, sorry, it just reminded me no, of that. He's, he's right though. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it, you know, it's a little similar to what's going on this, day and age, but there weren't a lot of jobs. So I kind of got into mortgages because 
it was what was available to me. And there weren't a lot of other jobs and it was a good time to get into mortgages. And that's how I got started. Sure. Yeah. And so, and, and getting into mortgages is, I think it's such a tough business because you really have, to, I think loan officers, it's tough because they, they really have to serve a lot of different masters, right? They have to make sure that every person involved in a transaction is, is happy and satisfied, including the client, the realtors, the attorneys, um, you know, the title companies, again, depending on what, you know, what state you practice in. Um, but also just from a marketing perspective, I think, you know, uh, realtors, uh, loan officers really have very similar jobs as far as trying to, to build their business. Um, can you talk us, tell us a little bit only because I think even for, for our, our audience, which are predominantly realtors, I think just hearing about how you built your business would, would be super helpful. Like, yeah. were you, were you partnering with realtors? Were you going directly to the public? Were you trying a little bit of everything? So from where it started to where it is now, completely two different opposite ends of the spectrum. But you know, I started really in a lead model um, where we were getting leads every single day. And it was easy at that point. And to be totally honest with you, for my first three years in the business, most of my business was a refinance business because it was the sure. first real drop in, in the market and we would do it and refis were easy. What I learned now, uh, you know, hindsight is 2020 is that that you know buyers and realtors are really the the key to building a business that's long lasting and it's a better quality of life than being stuck to your desk and answering the phone all day. So for, for you know for 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 cold calls essentially. Um sure. so you know where it started to where it is now. Now my, my concentration really is built around bringing value to mostly and, and real estate agents for better or worse and mo some mortgage guys will admit that someone are still the best source of business. They're always going to sure. be the best source of business, right? So trying to bring value around realtors at this point is really my main um, function every single day uh, as the head of, and we have about 250 salespeople between myself and my partner as far in our mortgage division. We did about 6,000 loans last year for around 2 billion. So it was a lot of business. And I would say 75% of it is, is realtor uh, referral based from realtors. So a lot of what we do now is still really based around that as our, as our main partner and our main consumer. So what you said is very, very true. It's not only um, making sure the customer is happy, it's making sure that the realtor has a, a value partner um, that's making sure one, that their, their commissions are protected one. And secondly, that they're adding something that's not just the same as the next guy is doing. And I think we tr I try to be unique in that way, whether it's through social media or it's through marketing or it's through specific campaigns to each realtor, that adding value to help them build their business, help them build the business and not just a pipeline, right? Like how are we help yeah. each other build businesses long-term and not just building your pipeline today? Yeah, I, I think that's that seems to be uh, what the most successful LOs, loan officers that I'm aware of do, and they're they're very generous with you know partnering and saying how can I help you build your business. Um, and uh, I, I'm curious, how did you go about? Um, you know, I know you sort of you have your own firm. How did you go about making the transition from being sort of a worker bee um, and, and being on the front lines to saying, okay, I want to manage, you know, a whole team here and kind of build it up. Um, obviously that's a very challenging thing to do. It's a super competitive landscape. Um, although maybe, maybe not if you had all these great relationships built in advance. Um, but I mean, it's still competitive, of course. Yeah. Um, but just curious about how you made that transition to sort of, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. So it, it kind of went up and then down and then up again. So yeah. from 01 to 07, I was a officer for a couple of years and I was promoted to a, uh, an assistant vice president at a company that eventually became Deutsche Bank. 
acquired sure. a, a, a pretty big, large company and then they got rid of us in 2007. So when they got rid of us in 2007, I was this manager um, who really only knew people within my company, which is my first mistake, because I hadn't really built a network outside of my company. So when I lost my job, everybody else lost their job. So it was a rough three or four years for me. Um, besides losing everything, I was really starting over. Um, and I, what I went back to being was a loan officer again. So I went from being this person who was running a very, very large group to, to the only thing I could really earn money at at the time was being a loan officer again. And sure. it took a, a little bit of a, a year of my getting humbled by the market to, for me to go back to doing that again. I was trying to avoid it at all costs, which I was telling the young people in my office yesterday, actually, in hindsight, hindsight being 2020 again, was that that was stupid because somebody who's a direct salesperson, whether you're a realtor or a loan officer, you can have a network that's yours that you own forever. And the truth of the matter, if I was if I stayed a loan officer throughout that market crash and all that stuff, I would have been much more insulated from um, suffering than I, than I was as, as a person in management because I would have had these relationships that were mine and people still have to close on loans. So there's always business there. So um, when I started to rebuild it again in 2008 and then nine and 10, when I realized that I had to get out and, and, and I really started trying to tackle relationships and around 13 or 14, I put, I started putting myself out front um, through social media and outlets like that to generate more value around myself. So even today, what I really lead with to, to run a group of people, and you'll definitely understand that because you have 700 realtors, 800 realtors yeah. um, is I have to provide some kind of value to them that they're not getting someplace else. And my value always starts with relationships um, yeah. so it's my relationships that help me get business from realtors. It's my relationships that help me grow my, the people around me on social media through the, it, it, it getting them more exposure. So I, I really try to lead with that value proposition. I'm the person that you can be in business with. And I see myself as a partner, even for the people that are underneath me, like they have to get something out of the relationship, just like I have to. And how can I help you grow your business? And, and, and I really do that through a lot of people coming to me to, to give me the business and then me dispersing it to other people. So that's really um, the black and white of what's helped me grow the business is, is, is it always starts directly with the, our direct consumers and our direct referral sources. And, and I try to every day continue to grow those no matter where I am in my, my business. I try to grow those every single day. You know, I was, I was thinking when, when you were, thank you for, for sharing that. And I think sure. that is, it, it's, it's something that isn't as common as one might think with, with loan officers. I know like we, um, we, we tend to recommend there's, there's a great uh, loan officer here that we work with locally um, that we tend to push a lot of business to as mo as best we can. However, um, I, I was just thinking about this when you were mentioning uh, that we have, you know, close to 800 agents. Um, I was just realizing I don't get these phone calls anymore that I used to. And I'm, I'm kind of like in charge of the marketing um, sort of for, for our company. And, and I certainly used to get these phone calls from uh, mortgage lenders who would say, Hey, I want to, you know, I want to get in front of your agents. And I just realized I haven't had one of those calls in years. And I'm, I'm, I just realized how shocking that is that you would think that I'm getting, would get calls every day saying, you know, Hey, you guys have 800 agents. I would love to get in front of your agents. Almost never do we get those calls. And it is shocking because there's gotta be at least a thousand LOs here in Chicago, probably more. And, um, so I, I think this this point to your saying about partnering with either the brokerage or, or with the agent directly is so important. And the good news is too, so if you're an agent that's listening, you're, you might not be getting those calls either, right? So I know I'm not getting them. Um, and so 
this is an opportunity, I think, to really, you know, think about who do you, uh, who do you like uh, on the LO side and, and who do you uh, want to partner with that can actually help you, you know, whether it's through social media or, or through doing events or, you know, branding or, or, or you know, a physical mailers or, or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, I, I don't think there's that, I think agents oftentimes have to go looking for those opportunities with loan officers, as opposed to waiting for that phone to ring and saying, hey, I want to help you build your business. Yeah. And, you know, so two points that you just made me think of, I think the first thing is because the market has been so busy for the last three years, that a lot of loan offers, loan officers, and I've seen it within my group, have gotten used to the phone ringing in, and it was yeah. just like fire hose. They, 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 and, and they got away from what they're going to need now again, which is they need to go out and, and bring value to get the business out of realtors. Because you don't see loan officers at open houses anymore either. And I preach to my people every single weekend, you should get a zip code. You should look at every single open house. You should show up at every single open house and say, hey, totally. I'm in the area. I'll work the open. And, and you know, to be honest with you, our best leads still come from open houses. Those are people who are actively looking. They're still the best leads. And so we make a, pro a point to work open houses. We make a point to still have events that are going to bring value to the realtors. We're still doing all that stuff. I think that's where the mortgage people have gotten away from. And you'll see it come back because now they need it again. But when they didn't need it, they, they didn't have the foresight to, to say, hey, um, I still have to be adding referral partners every single month to make sure. Because you may have an agent. And again, you'll understand this because you have agents. You'll have an agent you get one deal a year from. But that it's a valuable deal because if you have enough of those people, it makes sense for you as a loan officer. So I think people just got away from the things that, that, that were working um, because it was so easy to do business. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's funny. I was, I was thinking back when you started too, there was kind of the era of incredibly low rates, interest only loans, yes. um, you know, times where I remember somebody refinanced, um, I, I wasn't in this industry, but I just remember, and it was like 2%, 2 point something. It was based on LIBOR. Um, yeah. and I don't know if, if rates are still based on LIBOR, but, but it was, it was just a whole different world. And then of course the collapse and, and now, um, you know, in the last couple of years, it, we had a bit of a rebound because of course rates being so low and people just have more buying power than they've had. Yeah. And, but then we also have the other side of it, which is a supply shortage. And I know that that's something that, that you're really passionate about sort of coaching people through. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you see sort of supply chain issues or, or, or housing shortage uh, supply issues and, and yeah. what you're doing um, to sort of educate realtors or the public about how they can sort of participate still. Sure. I, I saw, so I saw a, an article last week that I read on Market Watch, I think, that and it had some alarm. It was maybe two weeks ago. It had some alarming statistics in it. It was the statistics were done by a company called Altos, who's like a, a, a market uh, research company for real estate. Anyway, there's only 274,000 homes listed in the whole entire country right now. The country. So, and, and a healthy average nationally is somewhere between 800,000 and a million. So we're about wow. 600,000 homes short of a healthy average, which means it's the same reason there's not going to be a real estate crash again, though. Definitely not now because we're so short on supply and so high on demand. And that shortage, you know, you, you, you're, you're from Chicago. You're, you know, you're around that area. Right? I'm from New York City. They're not building. We can't build here. Right. Like, so it's like, you know, so some of these markets, you're not going to be able to uh, address that shortage with building. So that's the first thing. So I think you're going to have a very, very uh, low, low supply for the foreseeable future. Um I think to deal with that as, as a buyer, there's two things I would look at it as. The first thing is, is that the other thing you're going to start reading and everybody's reading now already is that rent had the largest raise last year yeah. that it had in forever. And I think some cities were between 20 and 30% higher in rents, right? Um, 
fixing in your mortgage course right now, it's worth going through the pain of bidding wars and overpaying a little bit and all that stuff. Because just being able to fix your mortgage cost right now, you're locking in value for years oh, to come in a incredible. market. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, you see the, all these Wall Street firms, BlackRock and all these big Wall Street firms are, are buying single family homes in bulk right now. They're doing that, in my opinion, because they see a single family rental market that's going to continue to increase. They know there's a lot of value there. So if you if you need to be on the same train, I think, as a buyer to buy now and lock in your home your home cost for the most part, ninety percent of it will be locked in besides your taxes and insurance. So you don't you're not affected by the market for the next twenty to thirty years, right? Like so, I, I think it's very very important right now to 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 deal with the pressure uh, of being in a lot of low supply to lock oh, in that home cost. I I I bought my first condo in two thousand. Five and um, I can't remember what my rate was. It might have been the high threes or low fours. I just I don't remember. It was a million years ago. Um, but I was pretty happy with whatever it was. I was like, hey, this is this is pretty low. And then I just yeah. bought a place uh, about a year ago, and I have like a two nine something. I think a two nine zero or something. And and I'm just like. I get that for the next 30 years. Like, and, and, and even though now rates have, have increased in anticipation of the Fed, um, you know, maybe mid threes, high threes, even uh, depending mm -hmm. on credit and everything, that's still amazing. Like that's still well, absolutely that. incredible. And you're right. It's actually worth all of the headache because you're basically a hero as an agent to a home buyer. If number one, you can find them a place and get, sure. get them, get their deal approved, but locking them in at that kind of a rate, I mean, it's so funny. We're seeing all this news about rates are going up, rates are going up. And it's like, well, yeah, except they were at almost historic lows. <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, it's still really attractive. And um, you're right. You're going to be locking someone in. And I think the education piece is really important too, to, to buyers, really making sure they understand we are in a really fortunate time rate wise. And this is, this is the time to really consider pulling the trigger if possible, because boy, yeah, you're going to, maybe you're going to overpay, um, but you're going to lock in a real nice rate for the rest of your, you know, probably adult life. Yeah, no, you hit, you hit it on the head. I mean, that's why it's worth, and, it's, and I think that's what people get frustrated. And, you know, I was saying yesterday, I was like, you know, I know as a bar, it's very, very frustrating to get outbid all the time and you're waiting online to get open houses, but it doesn't feel like this, but you're getting an education, right? That house that you didn't get gives you a better idea of where the market is, where the price has to be, how quick of a decision you have to make and what you really need, what you really have to have, right? Because you're going to compromise in some way, way, shape, or form. So I think that losing all these houses is actually the best education you can get to make you a more schooled buyer and shopper when you're going to look. But I, it doesn't feel like that a lot of times because it's, it's it, you know, even for me, I, you know, I'm very active in buying in the market. And I'm a, I have, I know all the secrets and it's hard for me a lot of the time. So I can imagine how frustrated people have gotten. Have you, have you just out of curiosity for your own uh, investments, are you um, doing anything more creative than, than maybe you had in previous years to try to either get offers noticed or just to find uh, sellers? I know on the investor side, there's there's almost an art and a science to yeah. um, all sorts of different ways in which you can sort of find opportunities that aren't on the MLS or, or, you know, and I'm not asking for, for of course your secret sauce, but I'm just curious if, if you've had to get a bit more creative um, because of the, the supply shortage, just trying to find these opportunities or these, these sellers. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, from, from my side, um, you know, to be totally honest, I wish I was better at getting stuff at discounts, but I'm not getting stuff at discounts right now. Like, you know, for the most part, I'm, I'm paying, but what I am doing is I'm going in with a very, very strong case that I'm the buyer they want. So I, I show up with a, what I call it a TBD commitment letter. 
So it's it's a to be determined address, but everything else on the commitment letter is is been done already. So I've actually been my 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 case has been in front of an underwriter. They've looked at my income, they looked at my assets. I'm qualified to get the loan. So so it's not a pre-approval. I'm showing up with an and, and lenders do this. We do it as a company at Cardinal, and a lot of lenders do this. I show up with an actual commitment letter, which is really as good as cash. It's like, hey, yeah, I'm a for sure. Um, all I need is appraisal, title, and homeowners insurance. Um, and we're, we'll, we will be good to go. So, so I, I'm showing up that way. As far as the appraisal and inspection contingencies go, because I know that's become a hot thing to waive that. Um, I'm not waiving them, but if it's a competitive property, I'm, I'm telling the seller that I'm going to do them still. And I, and I reserve the right to back out of the deal, but I'm not going to hold you to anything that I find. So at least I, I said, hey, you're not going to have to do any work. I'm not going to try to negotiate the price, but um, I'm going to do it for my own informational purposes and I reserve the right to back out of the deal. So I'm kind of being a little bit aggressive on that end. And, you know, I will even waive an appraisal contingency because as long as I have a mortgage contingency, which says that if I cannot get qualified for a mortgage, that I can get my deposit back, that I will waive the appraisal contingency because I know that I still have a backup at the mortgage contingency. So I think I got to be as creative as I can making the offer look as attractive as possible when I go in um, because, I, you know, at least then I'm in the game. And the other thing, and this is close to you, and you could probably speak to this even better than I can, is that I've learned more than ever. It's important to work with a realtor who's very, very familiar with the area I'm looking in and, and knows the other agents in the area. Because I found that when I've used agents that are outside of the areas that I'm buying in or don't know everybody, that I'm not getting bids. You really have to have an insider, depending on where you're looking, I feel like to get the property. So so agents that know their market and know the people in their market are super valuable right now. And, and I think it's a huge, I, I, thank you for saying that. I think that's a really important thing that isn't talked about as much on our show. Um, and it's really important because um, those relationships are, you know, I know, look, especially in these competitive bidding environments where the listing agent might have, you know, 20 plus offers and, you know, it just probably just becomes dizzying uh, after a while. But when they, when they see a familiar name and they're like, oh, I know, I know that person. That's a, that's a great agent. And I know that that agent isn't bringing me a garbage client. Um, you know, this is probably, uh, you know, it, because that agent's going to make sure that it, it isn't written by, you know, a lending institution that isn't, you know, reputable or can't close or, you know, the ones that, that they know are, are, are quality. Um, that's really, really important. So I think for everyone listening, if you're an agent who's newer or in the process of building up your business and you're like, well, I don't yet know all the, the agents in my area, go to the go to the broker open houses, go to the regular open houses, introduce yourself and say, hey, I just wanted to come by and see this in case I have a client that you know might be interested and I want to just meet you in person. And I mean, that, you were saying that's what your LOs do. Um, yeah. And it's, it's one of those sort of lost arts. Um, that is so important because you're right. Those relationships, look, we're all human nature. We like to see people's names that we recognize and we like. And, you know, those people, they shouldn't get preferential treatment, but just due to human nature, that might give you a slight edge over another um, similar or, or identical offer where they're like, oh, I know that agent. I'm going to go with that agent because I know that, you know, they're going to probably get this deal closed faster or, or on time or whatever. Um, so I, you're right. Relationships are so important, whether it's between a LO and a, and a broker, uh, or, or I guess in New York, not everyone's a broker, but um, you know, we'll say real estate agent and then real estate agent to, to consumer as well as, is having, having, and then real estate agent to real estate agent, knowing people in your area. So this is, it's always crazy to me too, um, that agents who are newer to the industry um, aren't being told 
ask other agents in your office if you can sit in open houses, you know, yeah. because even if you're not allowed to keep those referrals, which most I think people would let you keep the referrals, but even if they don't, um, it's like you said, it's an education. You get to see how another producer, you know, greets somebody when they walk in an open house. How do they let them browse around? How do they get their information so they can stay in touch? I mean, the education there is invaluable. And in most cases, the agent will say, you can keep those leads because you you yeah. earn them. Um, and and you're right, uh, loan officers um, really should be at every single open house that that they can, um, because it, and in fact, I, I was just talking to somebody who said that loan officers oftentimes have a higher closing percentage than the actual listing agent who's doing the open house because a lot of times people feel a little bit intimidated or like it's like you when you walk into a clothing store and you see the um, salesperson beeline right for you and you're like I'll oh, just leave me alone for a few minutes yeah, I just yeah, need yeah. to get, get my bearings but the loan officer typically doesn't do that. So I'd say if you're an agent, um, bring a loan officer with you because then it's not their open house. They're just there. And, yeah. and it, it, I think the, it's become sometimes a little bit easier for them to communicate with, with the people walking in. Cause I know my guard goes up as soon as somebody approaches me in a store, not because I'm not friendly, just because I just want to be left alone. A lot of times. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. Just let me shop. I, yeah, I'll, I'll you know, I, do I agree. <laughs> but I, but I think that's pretty cool because a loan officer can, can, can be, at, be there and say, Hey, I'm a partner of so-and-so this isn't my listing, but, yeah. but isn't it cool? And, and they can sort of pretend like, uh, like they're, they themselves are so impressed with the property, not pretend, hopefully it'd be authentic, but, but that puts them more on the same side as that, as that buyer versus maybe the realtor who, who they might think, Oh, that's a salesperson. I want to start to stay away from, um, so it's, I think it's a really smart, smart idea. So for everyone listening, find a loan officer who is willing to, to, to meet with you at your, um, at your open houses. And then if you don't have any listings to do open houses, ask other agents in your office. We have, like I said, we have almost eight, or you mentioned, we have almost 800 agents. I don't know how often our agents are reaching out to our other agents going, can I sit in, can I do an open house for you? Yeah. And what a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's the I think it's the biggest opportunity, especially in this market, because the open houses. Are, if you actually get to the point where there is an open house, they're super busy most of the time. So yeah. it, it, it's a great that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would love to talk to talk to you about millennials. Um, so I'm I'm not technically a millennial, but um, but I find that these are people who are buying homes right now, right? This is this is the demographic that is either has already bought their first home or is considering it. And I know the age keeps going up for people buying their first home, especially in, of course, places like New York, where it's just, you know, difficult because of the pricing. Um, but in, in most other markets, millennials are, are a key demographic to really uh, approach. And for any agent that isn't sort of feeling like they have a lot of visibility with the millennial sort of group, um, any suggestions about how they might want to go about sort of penetrating that market, getting getting exposure to that market? Because it, it it is probably a little different than you know how somebody, like I was saying, I I I'm not a millennial, but I would love a phone call from a from well I I already have our our LO relationships here, but but I I would think I'd be getting a lot of those phone calls. Um, I don't I don't get the emails, I don't get phone calls, but um, uh, I'm curious if you have suggestions about how. Uh, agents could could reach some of these, you know, younger buyers who maybe wouldn't necessarily think to pick up the phone and call a realtor. Um, you know, they're going to Zillow, Redfin, wherever, um, and and just doing all their browsing there. And maybe they fill out a lead form online and they get called by a bunch of realtors. But 
but these are millennials aren't typically people that talk a lot on the phone as well. No. So just curious if you have some suggestions about how to, how to get in front of those people. Yeah, so I, I don't think they talk on the phone a lot because I, I think it's a, it's a more educated um, buyer, right? Because they're, um, they, they have access to all, they've grown up on, online and, and if they didn't grow up online, they, they, they have access to look at that stuff online. But I think for the most part, they still have very traditional values, whereas they yeah. want to buy a house. Um, they think it's it's the foundation for building their life or a family, whatever it is. So I think that they still have very traditional values, and that's something you can hold on to, right? Like, hey, um, you're looking into a house. It's it's and I they're more investment savvy. So so I think speaking to millennials about it being an investment, being in a long term investment, it being the safest investment proven over time, but now more than ever in a volatile market where we don't know where stocks are going. We don't know what crypto is going. We don't know what NFTs are going, right? Real estate, something that's of low supply. And, and, and people like to talk about cryptocurrency, that there's only a certain amount of cryptocurrency in circulation. Well, I could say the same thing about real estate, right? There's only sure. a certain amount of homes listed and there's only a certain amount. So I think that the, if, you, if you speak to them in, from the stance that this is a long-term investment, it's to grow your long-term wealth, this is going to be, they still are very, very, they're very interested in that because they're also people who, came of age during a market crash. So they have a little bit of a scare picture of a housing market. It's still at this point that, that maybe um, they never got past, right? So talking to them as like how real estate has stayed the test of time since 1980, it's outpaced the stock market as far as return on investment, two to one, that's a real stat. So I, I, I think that I reach people a lot that way with saying, hey, um, this is how I've worked to, to grow secure long-term wealth. Um, and, I, and I really feel like it's the way to do it. And um, because you're financially savvy, because you have a 401k and because you understand investing, um, we can really leverage that to get you into the right property that helps you in the future, either buy more properties or just make the right buy for yourself, however that it's going to be. So I, I always try to lead with that when it comes to that, that, that group of people. Yeah, I think learning the lingo is really important too. Like if anyone out there is not familiar with the term house hacking, um, get familiar with it because it is the, the term millennials are using to, you know, yeah. live in a, live in a, maybe a three flat and rent out the other two units and have it sort of cover, cover the cost. Um, and if that's something that you're like, I don't really understand the investor world. I think Ralph's, Ralph is absolutely right. You're going to be missing out on business because um, you're right. The millennial and younger generations, these are, they've been online their, essentially their whole lives. They know how to get information faster than us older people. Um, uh, and this is, you know, we, we, I remember growing up and not, of course, not having access to the internet until I was I mean, the internet was technically really around since since the the mid '80s in any sort of real capacity, but only very small percentage of people even uh, even knew how to do that. But but as far as like having a, a browser to use, that was like '94, '95, yeah, um, right. and and there just wasn't much content even available at that time. So and nobody really knew how to use it. Google didn't exist. The search engines were kind of crappy. So it, it was it was difficult. It wasn't really till till the very end of, of, you know, maybe 99, 98, where we started going, okay, we can, we can really get information here, but millennials have always known how to do that. And so you're right. Like you have to know as much as they do at, at a, at a minimum. And the good news is, you know, their knowledge is, is really not that deep. It's, it's, it's vast, but it's, it's shallow. So they understand. And then you can come in and, and, and create that, that additional depth. But I think that's something that you really have to make a concerted effort for. If you're just like, oh, I don't deal with that. Boy, I, I cannot tell you how many young realtors um, who get their license 
and then they maybe they'll join our firm and 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 they'll say to things like I really want to I really need to to do some house hacking and I'm like wow I for the first eight years um, as somebody who recruits realtors nobody ever talked about it to me and now it's it's really common so you know that's just a one example but you're you're absolutely right this whole investor side is this is the time to start getting educated um, so that you can introduce a different stream of, uh, of client into your business. Yeah. And again, I think that age, and and I've gotten very heavy into the short-term rental space. So Airbnb, VRBO, um, but, and I see more and more of those people, um, whether they're families that are doing it or couples that are doing it, or they're, they're very interested in that space. And and the younger generation is definitely looking at it because they have different characters, you know, Gen Z, because they have different characteristics and different needs, but even the millennial generation now work from home and virtual learning, and that's changed the market completely. And a lot of these people who grew up on technology can work from anywhere, right? So they're going to live anywhere. So even more so with that as a realtor, I think you need to understand that, that um, they're willing to live anywhere, possibly to, to use the house as, a, as an income source um, and use it part-time and, and live someplace also part-time. But this, the last... COVID and pandemic and all that stuff has really changed the world as far as real estate goes, as far as I'm concerned. No, you're right. And I think too, um, you know, I, I, I've been, I traveled quite a bit during COVID. I was lucky enough to, to still be able to do that, you know, when it was safe to do it. And, um, and I met uh, a bunch of people overseas just randomly who had, um, you know, decided to either sublease if they were renting, you know, whatever major city they might have been at, at, and then just travel sort of full time. And and we met people in Croatia and Poland and and other places, um, and even other places in in this country where they weren't from there. They don't really live there. They're just yeah. there for now. And and they, I think, you know, now being that the millennials, Gen Z are are you know obviously spending a lot of time on TikTok, Instagram, obviously Facebook. Um, they're just seeing a lot of other opportunity of places to be. And now that their jobs don't chain them to a particular desk, um, you have this opportunity to explain to them, hey, you can travel around and maybe you'll even just rent wherever you go if you're just sort of going from city to city. But let's get you some sort of permanent investment here yeah. um, in your in your home area where that's going to be generating revenue or at least, you know, giving you some nice tax advantages while you, uh, you know, sort that's of true. find yourself, um, you know, all over the country or, or internationally. Um, and I, I think, again, that's just such a cool idea to bring to a millennial or a Gen Z or anyone really is to say like, Hey, are you planning on staying here? And even if you're not, you still probably want to invest in real estate and here's why. Um, and, and having that conversation, you don't have to live here kind of thing. Um, is, is I think really interesting and probably doesn't get discussed as much from realtors to younger clients. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody's, you know, everybody can be a digital nomad these days, right? You can really work yeah. from anywhere. And I, I, you know, I travel a lot. I'm on a plane um, so once a week, um, you know, sometimes more than that. But I really don't ever miss a step at this point now because my communication can be done over Zoom. I can do everything on my phone. I can really travel and do everything I have to and never miss a step. And I think that people have learned that that's a lifestyle uh, and that they can own, you know, again, for the short-term rental market. And, and this is something that I've I recognize that there's more revenue on, first of all, uh, than long-term rentals. But secondly, um, it's so it's so multi-use for me because I can use the homes to travel to for my home, my family for vacations, and it's still earn on them. Or it's not it's not um, it's an asset still, and it's an earning asset. So that that's great. I can um, buy homes in states that I, I either want to grow business in or 
can help me um, expand my income and or tax benefits. So it's it just like it's a whole new world as far as that goes. Right. So I think if you're a realtor in a place where you know that makes sense and you're seeing Airbnbs pop up or you're seeing um, people be trapped, I think it's something to focus on at this point. Like, hey, because a lot of the realtors I reach out to and speak to them about it don't necessarily know as much as I do about it being a, a, an area that's kind of on the come up for those reasons. Some of them do. Some of them don't. So I, I think that that's in some place that if you're a realtor who's in any market that even looks like that a little bit, I think it's something to definitely focus on because it could be a, a really good source of business for you. Yeah, de- definitely. And it's also just a way to separate yourself as an agent, being able to have those conversations. And I think having the tough conversations about things like, is a primary home? Hey, Mr. Uh, is it an asset? Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Buyer um, who wants to look at their first home you know, let's talk about what, a, what an asset is. And let's talk about, you know, the benefits of, of buying a primary residence, living in it. And let's also talk about investor, um, you know, sort of opportunities as well. And, 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 you know, what is an asset? And, and I think, you know, if you don't have a good comp- comprehensive answer for is a primary residence an asset, and I know that's a debatable topic, but somebody is going to come along and tell that person, Hey, you know, cause a lot of people don't see primary residences as, as assets until the day you sell them and then yeah. they're an asset. But, yeah. but I, I, I subscribe to that model too. I don't look at my primary home. I mean, I mean, I'd love it to be a, an actual asset. I hope it appreciates. And I, but it's all a guess, right? Like I have to live somewhere. Um, it'll either go up down. It doesn't generate revenue until the day I sell it. And then, oh, by the way, I got to reinvest all that money into the next place I, I buy. So, um, so I don't see it as an asset. Um, although, uh, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking of it, uh, you know, too narrowly, but, but yeah, invest, investments account generate income or at least cover expenses, um, or, or hopefully, um, or, or they just about do. And, uh, and, and, and that's, I mean, it's such an important conversation. And I, I think that's the more education, and, you know, agents can have, and for anyone listening, who's like, how do I get started learning? Um, and by the way, uh, before I mention that Ralph has a podcast and I totally forgot to mention this at the beginning, we're going to post a link to this, um, in our show notes. So if you're listening on a podcast app, uh, you can actually uh, subscribe to, to Ralph's uh, podcast right in our show notes, but he has the host of disruptors podcast, sorry, disruptors network podcast. So can you tell us just a little bit before, uh, before we move on about the, about the show? Yeah, so it was originally something that um, we were doing a lot of live events before uh, COVID happened, and then it turned into virtual events. So the virtual events turned into me trying to have fun people like you, you know, you people who built businesses and were showing people how they did it authentically. So it started, the podcast started around that, and that actually turned into a TV show that streamed on everything last year, Amazon, it's on YouTube, it's on, uh, it was on Apple TV, uh, Roku, and we're having our second season on DirecTV, which is called Disruptors Network. Um, so the podcast has really turned into a mixture of that. It's week to week. So uh, one week, it's a guest that we speak to, and I'd love to have you on. We'll talk about that separately. Yeah, that'd be fun. About somebody who brings value. And then the next week, I do um, a part of the podcast I call The Growth Project. And The Growth Project is all about how do you buy real estate? How do you get started buying properties? How do you invest? How do you grow a real estate portfolio? So there's there's that on there too for people who are interested in strictly that. Um, we do it. I did an episode this week on red red flags in a seller's market. So I'm trying to address specific problems people are having with actually buying real estate. Um, but that's what the podcast is about. 
I love it. And that's called the Podcast Disruptors, uh, Disruptor Network. And by the way, um, you can access that as well right on Ralph's website, which is also linked to in our show notes. Um, and also, I want to talk about you as, as an athlete, because I think this is something I meant to... Oh, I was going to say, by the way, one thing I forgot to say all over the place. Um, if you wanted to start to learn about investments... Um, Bigger pockets is is really the place right. yes. that that you need to be aware of as an agent because it's the place where the vast or, or the it's the number one spot that investors go to learn. Um, it's the number one online community for investors, and so agents really need to be familiar with with what they offer. So that if your client says, "I was reading this thing on Bigger Pockets," and you're like, "I don't know what that is," that's <laughs> the one website to know. It's yeah, the one community to really become aware of because they are they're the kings of of teaching people how. How to do this, and it's just this nice little—not uh, little—it's a large uh, forum community, and they do podcasts and other things. Um, so definitely start at Bigger Pockets. You know, check out Ralph's uh, podcast and TV show as well. But let's—I would love to talk about your, uh, your 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 sort of athletic career. Tell us a little bit about you know what that means to you and 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 what you do there. Um, I, you know, I think I, I played sports growing up. Um, I was always really an athlete. My worst years of, of being out of shape were during the market crash because I think I was just in survival mode for a year. So I, sure. I, I never forget I stepped out of it at some point. But I boxed competitively in, in my twenties. Um, you know, amateur stuff. You know, I never turned pro, but you know, Golden Gloves and stuff like that. And then I got into my thirties, wow. started um, being running races, um, and I got into these Spartan races, which were, were obstacle races. Um, and I found that I was a pretty decent runner, um, which I didn't realize until that point. And I was ranked pretty high. They have a, a, a pro circuit and I was ranked. Um, I was ranked at least in the top 50 for like four or five years running. And I, wow. and I, I was top 15 in 2017, I think. So I haven't run since COVID, but I'm, I'm, I'll probably pick it up again. But I think that in general for me is um, I'm a morning. I'm really a morning person. <laughs> I'm naturally it's not a forced thing. And I think that everybody has their own energy when it comes to that. And I don't think mornings is for everybody. I think somebody go better at night. Some people, but you know, I'm just good in the mornings. Um, so I really need exercise um, early in the day to kind of center me or I'm all over the place. So I really, yeah. use, I've always used fitness as a way to kind of keep me sharp. Um, and that's what the, 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 comp the competitions were about. And uh, I needed some, I always kind of need something to try train for, but what I've realized over, over life now is that I don't need the competitions necessarily train for that. I, I, I need to continue to be better and train for life. Right. So I think my whole um, role for that at this point now is I want to do everything on a very, very high level, even that, but just to be healthy, yeah. I, you know, I get up every single day and do it. And I still train like I'm running races, even though I'm not running races anymore. So, um, well, well, yeah. it's, it, you know, it's interesting. I, I was, uh, I, I, just before this podcast, I, um, I work out, um, just three times a week. Uh, and I did it right before, uh, before coming on the show today. And I, so I do it for me. It's in the middle of the day, just because if it's a nice break, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And it's just a few blocks from, from my office. So very easy to get to, but for me, I've always had the gym nearby and I wasn't doing it for years and years. I play tennis and it's a tennis club as well, but I wasn't really working out. Um, I was just playing tennis and I had to realize that at, I guess I'm 46 now. So I think I was, yeah, about 44 when I said, I think I have to get a trainer. And uh, that was really depressing to me because I thought, gosh, I just can't get to the gym on my own. And the reality of it is I can't get to the gym on my own. I don't do it. And so I thought, okay, well, it's an expensive uh, problem um, to have because then you have to hire a trainer. 
but, um, but, you know, I was thinking about it too, like athletes have coaches, right. And, yep. um, and, and certainly, I mean, look, just about every, not, not every agent I've ever interviewed on the show, but a lot of them have coaches as well, who are big, massive producers. So this is also a, a great sort of thing to think about in your business is do you have a coach? Um, you know, whether it's, you know, for your physical body or for your business, um, I think for the very least you should have one for, for your business. But what I was going to say about, about getting in shape, um, and, and I have a similar, similar goals to you, which is, I just want to be healthy. I don't really care how much today was lower body day, which is my least favorite of all the days. Um, so I don't really care how much I deadlift or, or squat or, or whatever. In fact, we change up exercises all the time. So I don't even know what I'm really supposed to, you know, look for as far as, you know, my trainer figures all that out, but but it, it has really changed the amount of energy I have. And of course yeah. we all sort of know that, but I didn't know it until I actually did it. And then I went, well, I hate every moment of it because it's just pain and it's hard and it's, I'm kind of a baby about it. But if I just show up and do the work, I have more energy for my business. And so, uh, and I mean, that's like, of course, that's like basic health 101, but boy, is it made a, a huge difference. All the pain that I experienced in the gym today was a particularly painful day. Um, <laughs> it, it ultimately it's, it's just even just good for stress. And, and yeah. so, but, but yeah, it's, um, it's really important. I really encourage everyone out there. We all talk about wellness and, and, and everyone knows, yeah, yeah, I should work out. And I must've been saying that for the last 20 years. And then I finally just said, I, I'm not going to do this unless I get a trainer. And even though it's crazy expensive, um, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. And, and it also pushes me to earn a slightly higher income so I can keep paying for that. So, um, I encourage, encourage everyone to really think about their physical body and, and also realtors, loan officers as well, get, get, it's tough to set boundaries um, when, when you're, you know, dealing with somebody's, you know, primary home and it's one of the largest investments they may, maybe the largest investment they'll ever make or certainly up there. Uh, and they're going to be really stressed. Um, you know, the client's going to be stressed. The agent's going to be stressed. You know, there's always a wrinkle. There's always something that goes wrong in a transaction at some point. And the best thing you can do as the agent is have an outlet for that stress. So I imagine is, is that uh, helpful for you as well? Does that help get rid of some of your anxiety yeah. or yeah? So much, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's how I work off a lot. I think that's how I'm able to deal with the amount of stress that comes with the job, right? Like I, that really puts me. And you know, you said something about a trainer, but I think what you said is really, really important. I, I, you know, I have accountability partners, and yeah. and, and some of it's fitness related, and some of it's uh, my, I, I set accountability traps for myself, right? So like I wear a Fitbit every single day to track my steps because it just keeps me accountable to know I have to move a certain amount every single day, and I have a goal in there that I'm supposed to cross every single day, and when I don't cross it, I'm aware of it. Yeah. Um, I have a sleep tracker um, and, and, and I use that to, cause I, I know I need at least six hours of sleep. That's kind of like my sweet spot. Um, so, uh, you know, at the end of the week I get my report and it's like, you know, I, I, my, my sleep was no good last week. I have to get myself. To, to, so I have little reminders to keep myself accountable um, because I know if I do those little, those little tiny things and I keep myself accountable to those little tiny things that I'm a much better person and it helps my, my earning potential and everything else. And it just makes me feel better. And I have an eight and a six year old and I, and a lot of my time goes to them at this point now, but you know, more than anything, I want to be, have the energy to, when I get home to give them as much attention as I'm giving everybody else during the day. Yeah. I, I struggle with that a little bit myself is, and I'm sure a lot of our, our audience can listen. And, and just so people know, I, I really have a more traditional nine to five type job. Um, so I'm not out there producing like our, our audience is, um, or, or, you know, your, your salespeople, your company are. Um, and, and again, the, the, you know, I, I have a, I get to sort of 
for the most part, sort of shut down around five, six, maybe seven o'clock at, at latest. And I don't have to do much in the evening, but realtors oftentimes do and, and loan officers do. And, you know, they're constantly, you know, people are working during the day. And so their clients are messaging them at night and they're getting emails and texts and, and trying to figure out those boundaries um, is, is not always the easiest thing, but, but you're right. Like I'll come home and I will have blown all my energy during the day. And then I don't really have uh, as much energy for my partner, my, my girlfriend, as I, as I should. And so it's a constant sort of dance of like, yeah, how much, is. how much, but, but I would have a lot less energy if I didn't work out. Um, and, and now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, now I have to lose a few pounds. Um, my, my strength is way up, but my, uh, my fat is way up as well. So now it's like, oh, that I have to stop snacking. And, and, and there's always little tweaks to make to, to the formula. Um, but, but, you know, the physical side of it is the better in shape you are, you're just going to have a better, you're probably just gonna have a better career. I, yeah, you know, I it's really that simple. Um, and you're going to have more energy for the people that you love in your life, like your family. And cause, cause this, this job is exhausting. It's, it's an exhausting, not, not my job, but, but realtor, you know, job and, and LO jobs are, it's tough. You're dealing with people's emotions and, and a lot of money and no, a lot a, of stress. And, yeah. and it's, it's a runaway train sometimes because you don't know how your day is going to go with depending on, there's a lot of moving parts. So yeah, for sure. You need the stress reliever. <laughs> Well, Ralph, I really appreciate you you being on our show. This was a lot of fun for us. We really uh, had a great conversation with you. I want to remind everyone to please check out Ralph at his website. Everything um, that he is involved in is right on his site. A site that's uh, Ralph Dibugnara at dot uh, com, and that's R A L P H D I B U G N A R A dot com. Also, that's in our show notes. Um, and check out his podcast, The Disruptors Network. Um, you can find it anywhere podcasts are served. Just do a search for Disruptors Network, and you'll find it. And then also, um, what's the best way that uh, is uh, for them to find your, your show as well? Is, is that that's also on your website, I assume? It's on my website. And my, my Instagram kind of has everything in it that's at debug. And I still answer all my messages there. So if you have any questions about this or real estate or short term rental buying or anything like that, um, that's a good place to get me. Um, I, I answer everything over there. And it's fairly funny, right before we started, I had one of our newer agents, he had just passed his licensing exam and decided to join our firm. So this is just really kind of interesting timing, literally right before we, we got on the air, he came in and he goes, Hey, I have a problem. I have a two flat and I, and this is in Chicago and I don't, um, I need to get approval from the city to be able to do short-term rentals. And he said, I got denied, uh, or this property got denied and I had to go to the alderman. Um, and I had to, you know, try to you know, get things. He's like, I really don't know what to do now. And, um, and so, you know, we passed him over to our support team who, who can help them, but, but even eight, you know, this is something that agents, you know, really need to, to get familiar with, especially on the short-term rental side, because as you were saying earlier, millennials, not only are interested in this, they're using Airbnb, they're using VRBO. These are, these are the, the services. I mean, we're all using them really at this point, but this is an opportunity to really, it's, it's one of those things where I'd say as an agent, if you could spend the next two years, spend 15, 20 minutes a day, just looking at uh, understanding invest the investor world and how investments work in two years, you're going to be an expert, or at least you're going to be a lot further along and you'll be able then to service those clients. And this is why also you want to partner with a loan officer who actually is really familiar with, with these types of investments and these types of loans. And you, that way, you know, either you can just pass it right over to your, your trusted lender, or you can have 
have that lender train you on what you need to know. Um, and th this is such a great, you know, we're, we're sort of coming into, I know the market's picking up because it's after Super Bowl now and everything's kind yeah. of kind of gaining cool. steam yeah. and the rental season is, is upon us as well. And, and that's uh, huge. Um, but I think, you know, just carve out 10, 15, 20 minutes a day to, to, to master this or learn this. And within a few years, you're, you're going to be leaps and bounds above 99% of the other realtors out there. Agreed. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree with you. I think it's a, I think it's a great space. I think it's the next thing um, for sure. So I, it's something that I'm heavy on right now. Well, I want everyone to check out Ralph's podcast, which is called the Disruptors Network. We have a link to it in the show notes or just search for it. Um, or you can access it right on his website, ralphdebugnera.com. Um, Ralph, on behalf of all of our audience, we want to thank you for spending time with us and educating our audience on, on things like investments and, and just you know how to reach sort of a younger demographic and some just best practice ideas for somebody who's done it uh, and now runs a huge team that does it. Um, you know, and, and also, um, on behalf of Ralph and myself, we want to thank our audience for continuing to listen and support our show. I want to remind everyone, before you sign off or after you sign off, just help us do two quick things. One, tell a friend. Think of one other realtor or real estate agent or loan officer that could really benefit from hearing this particular episode with Ralph. Shoot them a link to our, our website um, if they're not a podcast person. You can find us right at keepingitrealpod.com. Again, keepingitrealpod.com. Every episode we've ever done is there. Uh, they can stream it right from their browser or pull up a podcast app, have them search for keeping it real search and hit the subscribe button. And then the last thing, so please tell a friend and then also review our show. We really, really uh, use that data and that feedback to improve and, and continue to get better and give you guys more of what you want from this show. Um, and we just crossed over a million downloads a couple of days ago. We're super grateful for that. And we want to hear what you want to see different. We want what, what you like about the show. So whatever podcast app you might be using, if you're using one, leave us a review. Let us know what you think of the show. We read every single comment um, and let us know how we can continue to keep getting better. Uh, Ralph, thank you so much for being on our show. I'd love to be on your show someday. So definitely reach out. And um, uh, for everyone else, uh, Ralph, we thank you and we'll see everyone on the next episode. Uh -oh.